Mashiach. Now, it is currently Erev Purim as of this episode, and it is the Ta'anit Esther today. And about this particular time frame, it is good to note this is when we were actually doing miraculous battles with um, the people who were under the influence, let's put it that way, of uh, Haman to wipe out the Jews. So um, if you go to Esther and look at chapter 9, this is where it reads, Consequently, on the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, we have two of them this year, so we have two 12s this year. <laughs> it says, that is the month of Adar. The king's edict and his law drew near to be carried out. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but contrary to expectations. And there's an understanding of a, a, a word in Hebrew called nahafoku, which means uh, an overturning. So just as quickly as Haman was on the verge of wiping us out and uh, seemingly had everything that he desired and paid for, just as quickly as that happened was as quickly as, nope, now Haman and his 10 sons are hanged. Now the Jews get to defend themselves. Now everything's handed over to Mordecai. Now, you know, all of these evil decrees that were set are now overturned. This is like in the twinkling of an eye. If you kind of think about the uh, the common phraseology you may have heard uh, back in Edom, uh, the way they talk about the uh, the resurrection uh, in Thessalonians in that letter. But the point of bringing this up is that when we approach Purim, we need to make sure that we are asking Hashem for Nahafoku. Like we need all of this overturn. We need all of this exile, all of the death, all of the uh, the sicknesses and diseases and wars and rumors of wars and all of the crazy injustice and corruption that is going on all across the globe. This is a global geula. We need geula for everybody. Like it's not just for the Jews. It's also for the non-Jews. Like all 70 nations need to be able to make aliyah to Yerushalayim to the new temple with the coming of the Mashiach. May that be soon in our days. Now, what I want to note here says the Jews assembled. This is chapter nine, verse two in Esther. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus in order to lay hands on those seeking their harm. I love this translation. This is the, the tree of life version. Love it. Lay hands. Because when, you know, people talk about, oh, we need to lay hands on you. It's like, um, what you talking about? Because laying hands to me might be a little different than what laying hands means to you. And it's just kind of like, well, I guess that's why people fall out when people get laid hands on them. I don't know. But anyway, um, that is a hood term for uh, you don't want to catch no smoke. You don't want no smoke. You don't want to catch these fists. You don't want to catch these hands lay hands. I mean, it's all violent terms for we going to fight. Knuckle sandwich is the other way you can put it. But anyway, so we assembled first. And this is a big thing because I know today is the fast day, but we have to remember that at the original time we were fighting because the, the original fast, by the way, which is a three-day fast in Esther was 
Nissan 13, 14, and 15. So if you think about the significance of the time frame, it was a month from now that the fast would actually be observed in antiquity. And right now, in modern times, we have Ta'anit Bechor, the fast of the firstborn, on the 14th of Nisan. And other than that, there are no fasts in the month of Nisan. So just a little uh, frame of reference here. But we were fighting originally during this day, and we were fighting as we were assembled. And in the Bet Midrash for Parsha Zav and Purim 5782, I was just speaking on this and it was uh, like I, I gave it over in the analogy of, you know, like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Captain Planet, Voltron, you know, all these things about groups of people that have to assemble together to make this one entity in order to overcome the enemy and bring the victory in a big and miraculous way. And I also referenced the fact that this is prophecy returning to Eretz Israel, returning to Israel in general, and not only all mankind who Hashem is going to pour out his spirit on. He has been doing that. This is why a lot of people are getting these quote unquote downloads where they're having dreams and visions and Hashem is like pouring out these beautiful secrets of the kingdom to people who are not even Jewish currently anyway. And um, some of them are Jewish and others are just like, I don't even know what's going on. And it's just like these miraculous things are happening. Well, the thing is, is the more we assemble as the Jews, the more we open those gates and doors for that to happen. And ultimately, we restore the spirit of prophecy back to Israel, because originally when we were uh, with the temple and during the time of the prophets, we read about the prophets that are in the Tanakh, right? But there are actually millions of prophets, like everyone was prophesying. This is where Shaul Hashliach, Paul the Apostle, gets it from, uh, that I'd, I wish that all would prophesy, which is originally what Moshe Rabbeinu said in Parsha Beha with Eldad and Medad, uh, when they caught prophecy during the picking of the new 70 elders that happened in the wilderness. But <clears throat> all of that to say, the spirit of prophecy is directly connected with all of us unifying and being assembled. So miraculous things happen under the influence of Kol Yisrael. When all Jews, no matter what backgrounds, when we all come together, amazing things happen. This is why Nahafoku is like, this is prime for that. The more we unify, the more we assemble. Because as well, I brought down in Nadrash a few weeks ago that uh, this was shared by Shvile Pincus in one of his posts. <clears throat> he was bringing down that when the forces of Kedusha, anyone who wants to walk in holiness, righteousness, truth, when we all unify, we bring disunity and separation, all of that, to the side of impurity, evil, darkness. So you want to break up the darkness in the world and bring more light? Other people who are walking in holiness, you join your holiness with their holiness. And this is one of the, the greatest understandings that we need to have each and every generation that 
the temple is not rebuilt in is equivalent to the one that destroyed it. And we're considered as if we destroyed it. So I don't know about you, but I'm I'm not OK with that. I don't want to be a part of a generation that destroyed the temple and that didn't rebuild it. So at least uh, we can unify. And if we don't get a temple, at least we can say that we tried and we gave it our all because eventually we will get the temple. Eventually, Mashiach will show up. So do we want it now or do we want it later? Because if we want it later, it's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to happen that we're probably not going to be excited about. Like right now, some of the things that are going on, just to mention, I know I say it a lot, gas prices. Everyone's freaking out about it. Well, a lot cost of living. It's going to go up. Inflation, crazy stuff with economies. You want you want to wait for redemption or you want to make redemption? Because if you want to wait for it, you got more of that coming in other pandemics. COVID-19 was just as nothing compared to what we could get. So may we move forward. Assemble all the Kedushim, the Kedoshim. <clears throat> and it says no harm. <clears throat> no one was able to stand against them. Listen, when we assemble, this is Esther 9 two. please. Listen, when we assembled, no one was able to stand against it. You know, upon this rock, I will establish my kehilah, my congregation, my uh, assembly of people. The word kahal, which people uh, normally read as church in the English Bibles, it's actually assembly. <clears throat> and this is why people who even talk about church, they even say it's not about the building. It's about the people. It's like you are so correct because that is the meaning of Kehal. It's about the people, the assembly. Listen, upon the assembly, OK, upon the rock, first of all, the rock, the Torah, the truth, you know, Kepha was not literally the rock, but he was uh, it's an allegory. So Yeshua was speaking to him in these terms, like, listen, you're like the rock. And then the assembly is going to be established on you. Shaul actually echoes this later in uh, one of his letters where he talks about who we're built on, like the prophets and the apostles and all of that. So right now we go and look at this. Once that's all built up, not even the gates of Gehinom can stand against it. So it's said right now, according to the Arizal, that the generation that precedes the arrival of the Mashiach will feature the generation of the Tower of Babel. It will feature the generation of the flood of Noah, and it will also feature the generation of Saddam and Gomorrah. So all three of those entities and their influence and their spiritual makeup is a part of this generation today. So this is literally what we're battling against. So all the principalities and things like that, the strongholds, the, these are the forces at work right now that we have to overcome. And guess what? Those are nothing compared to Kol Yisrael. So this is why it's counterproductive for us to teach people to not do Torah or to make it hard for them to do Torah or to uh, look down on each other and uh, backstab, backbite, speak Lashonara, you know, and blacklist everyone and consider everyone like Metzarine, get outside the camp kind of thing. Like that's counterproductive right now. We got we got things to do. 
And some people may not like the idea of fighting and violence and things like that. Well, this is the coolest thing about Torah. All its paths are peace. And I always like to mention for my non-violent seeking people that the most violent thing that you can do to bring uh, victory over the enemy is to get you know, what's one of the four mitzvahs of Purim. Give a gift basket of ready-made treats to a friend, which is called uh, Mishloach Manot. And so that's like super violent because number one, the festive meal on Purim, like what you're going to end up doing is supplying food for that meal. This is the, the original way the Mishloach Manot was actually distributed on the day of Purim. During the time everyone would have their festive meal, as you were getting your, your meal all set and prepped, someone would show up with a basket of ready-made foods that you can actually feature in your festive meal. So you actually have part of your meal catered to you for free. I don't know about you, but free food is one thing. Free kosher food is another thing. But free mitzvah food? My goodness. And... You talk about fulfilling the whole Torah, loving your neighbors, you love yourself. Uh, that's it right there. So anyway, that's one of the most violent things you could do. But, you know, the whole thing about the, the warriors of Yisrael, because, listen, there's a whole chamber in the temple that was dedicated to weapons. So that if anything, quote unquote, popped off, as they would say in the hood, uh, if there was uh, anything of a disturbance happening as far as enemies or someone coming in to attack, they had a chamber that the Leviim, which, by the way, are skilled kosher slaughterers. just want to point out people who are excellent with blades. <laughs> That's the people who run the temple. I'm just saying, like, don't think I mean, the original concept of samurais and ninjas I mean, that's the Levites. Come on, man. It's like they'll cut you as quick as they can say a bracha. It's like, wow. But anyway, and they do this every day. But anyway, um, the whole point is there is necessarily violence for warriors. You know, we have to fight. And what I want to bring down is in the Tehillim, it talks about what the battlefield of Israel was like when we went out to war. First of all, we had the Ark of the Broken Tablets with us. So that was out there. We had uh, people blowing shofarot. We had recitation of the Shema and other passages of scripture. Because there's actually an art of martial arts that features the Hebrew letters as fighting moves. And then the whole thing about Hashem himself being in our camp. This is why there is a particular Torah portion in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, that talks about why a soldier needs to have a shovel uh, with him at all times and go outside the camp if he needs to relieve himself because Hashem walks about in your midst. I don't know about you, but to think about Hashem, the ark and uh, the shofar blast and everything being a part of your battle array. I mean, First of all, you got spiritual and physical victory just by existing before you even go out to war. This is why you can see that when we were doing everything that we needed to do, no one died when they went out to war. So it's just kind of like we didn't have to worry about casualties on the battlefield unless 
we were doing things that were antithetical to the commandments of God. So as far as us being violent, yes, do acts of kindness, 100%, study Torah, pray, sing, dance, blow the shofar, you know, things like that. But, you know, there's actually elements of physical, like, fighting. And one of the things about the Avengers is that we can do this through our mind because uh, our thoughts and our speech are considered physical actions, which is why there are physical repercussions to things that we think about and things that we speak about. So, you know, using our superpowers uh, through our thoughts and our speech is uh, one of the key things and core essentials of avenging. So that is the main thing. And I just want to read you some of the um, the casualty counts that we had from these battles during these days, literally 13th of Adar. Check this out. So this is later in chapter nine. Uh, it says on that day, this is verse 11. On that day, the number of those that were killed in the citadel at Shushan was brought to the king's attention. So listen. The, the body count was so high that it's just like, the king needs to know about this. This is kind of uh, alarming. <laughs> Think about the, the overall population of Persia. And it's like, okay, here we go. Let's, let's give the casualties for today. The king said to Queen Esther, the, listen, the king was like, Esther, girl, I need to talk to you. Listen. The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in the citadel of Shushan, including to, uh, Haman's ten sons. Now, this we've time warped to the 16th of Nisan because now this is uh, this is where Haman actually gets hanged. And uh, remember, because Esther did the two day banquet uh, with the king Akashverosh and Haman. And it was the second banquet that led to Haman's downfall, which is technically like the second night of Pesach. So for the idea and the understanding of two setters uh, for Pesach is amazing because that second setter would be considered when Haman was actually sentenced to his death. Because the following day, 16th of Nisan, was when he was hung from the gallows. And if you know anything about the Basora account, when was the Mashiach raised? He was raised on the 16th of Nisan. That was the third day. Uh, crucified and buried on the 14th. Pesach was on the 15th. That is a Shabbat day. Pesach itself is known as Shabbat, the first day of Pesach. So the, the morrow after the rest day is the 16th of Nisan, which is when we begin counting the Omer. So the same night that Haman was sentenced, that's the same night. That we have our second setter and we begin counting the Omer, like all of these things coming together. This would also be the same night that features the Havdalah that raised Mashiach from the grave. So sometime after Havdalah was when Mashiach was raised on this night as well. And then that following day, that is the 16th of Nisan during the day. And that's when Haman was hanged. And of course, Looking at our parallel hill, this is, a, again, Mashiach is raised. So Mashiach was hanged on the 14th. Haman was hanged on the 16th. But Haman did not raise. Mashiach did. 
And so will all the other Kedoshim who follow after Hashem. Just neat little parallels. But anyway, in Shushan, it was a 500. It was like, listen, that's including Haman's and sons. What have they done in the rest of the king provinces? Do, do, do you want to know? What's your request? It shall be granted to you. You know, and Esther's like, okay, that's cool. 500 people. Yay. If it pleased the king, Esther said, let the Jews in Shushan be allowed to carry out today's edict tomorrow also. And let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. So here's another crazy time warp. Technically, this should have been the 16th of Nisan, but it's like back to the 13th of Adar because Again, this is when we assembled and we're like ready and armed for war. It's like, let's go out and do it. So it's like, was this the 16th of Nisan or was this the 13th, 14th and 15th of Adar? So 14th, 15th, 16th of Nisan parallel with the 13th, 14th, 15th of Adar. That's our six days we're looking at. So a six day war kind of uh, thing. And I know this is kind of crazy without seeing this on a map or drawing and written out, but basically the text is repeating phraseology and there's commentary on this. And I didn't intend to go into this, but I just wanted to bring up, <clears throat> I just wanted to bring up the, the casualty count of the enemies. So for the purposes of this particular podcast, Let's stay within the scope of this episode and not try to think about mapping out too much particular and specific dates. But let's just focus on the enemies for right now. So it says the Jews in Shushan gathered on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they killed 300 men in Shushan, but they did not put their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, OK, so verse 15 gets particular so if you needed a particular day when this was all happening there you go so then it goes on to say meanwhile the rest of the jews who were in the king's provinces gathered so this shushan got its own thing but now let's go outside of shushan what's going on out there back to you in the field bob what's going on says they kill seventy-five thousand of their enemies but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. This has happened on the 13th day of Adar. So look, we're jumping back and forth. Verse 15, 14th of Adar in Shushan. Verse 17, this is the 13th of Adar. And on the 14th of Adar, uh, they rested. So we're talking about the 14th of Adar in verse 15. Verse 17, we're talking about the 13th of Adar. So between the 13th and the 14th, it's like, what's going on? Because on the 14th, outside of Shushan, it says they rested. But on the 14th day uh, in Shushan, they killed more people. And this is the connection to why there's two days of Purim. One day for cities that are not walled, which the walled cities actually celebrate. And then walled cities which according to Shifra Hana Hendry, may she live and be well, gatorunity.com, get you some. She was saying that uh, according to tradition, there's at least three wall cities right now. Um, Shushan, which is in Persia. And then you have uh, Yerushalayim, the old city. And then Safat uh, was antiquity, a wall city as well. So 
Those are the three walled cities. So those areas, even to this day, still celebrate two days of Purim. So uh, shouts out to Rabbi Alona Nava. May he live and be well, because he is out of Safat and uh, he gets to be a part of the two day festivities of Purim. Get you some. All right. So 75,000. Then what else? Because I think they mentioned more. Nope. Okay, that was it. Yeah. So it's just crazy to think about the 500, the 300, the 75,000. You know, so I mean, that's that's a lot of uh, battling. So batalia finale going on. All right. So I want to go over here to my main purpose of this podcast today outside of the uh, the things to focus on and meditate on as we're fast and get ready for the Megillah reading tonight. And during the Megillah reading, this is where you bring your half shekel. Donate your half shekel tonight and give gifts to the poor tonight if you can. So the shek- the half shekel, the giving to the poor, that's associated with the reading of the Megillah. And the festive meal and the Mishloach Manot is associated with the daytime mitzvah, the daytime reading of the Megillah. So the four mitzvot are like split up and paired up. But they're all together because it's it's all on Purim. So this is from Keho Daily Wisdom uh, for the fourth reading. Aliyah Revi'i, Aparsha Zav. It's talking about the purpose of the Kohen. So interesting about the Kohen, it breaks down into Kafhe and the letter Noon. Kaf Hey Noon is Cohen. So if you take the first two letters, it, it's the word Ko, which is there. And then Noon, which is 50 in numerical value. So there is 50. And again, with the whole understanding of the 50 in the Purim story, Haman made a gallows that was 50 cubits high. And uh, this is from Rabbi Pavanov. May he live and be well. So pa- actually, Rabbi Pavanov Shlita, because... I learned quite a bit from him, and uh, little does he know, he, he is considered uh, a, a teacher of mine as well. So between him and Rabbi Trugman Shalita, um, those are my two uh, go-tos. But anyway, um, he was bringing down commentary on uh, the 50 cubic gallows of Haman, saying that that corresponded to the 50 gates of wisdom or understanding. Shlita, Nun Sha'ar Bina. The 50 gates of understanding. And the cool thing about this is the Cohen himself represents the 50 gates of understanding, which is all about repentance to Shuva, removing yourself from levels of impurity and moving towards levels of uh, Kedusha. And so the place of Yerushalayim is also known as there. It's the place of the 50 gates. This is why uh, Abraham during Genesis chapter 22 said, we will go there. Ad ko, we will go to there. So, and there was speaking about the mountain, Mount Moriah, it's the place of 50, uh, the gateway to Shemaim, and this is the Kohen Gadol as well. So anyway, it says, so what's his purpose? Like, what, what's up with him, you know? He's dressed in these garments that represent different people within the makeup of Israel. 
And also he's consecrated and anointed him and his sons to bring Corbinot and to be the the guard of us worshiping Hashem. Because remember, the Kohanim and the Leviim were the protectors of the Mishkan and the wilderness. And when we got the temple, they were the people who ran the temple and protected and kept it uh, upkeep as well. So this is what it opens with. It says, um, the Torah describes how Aharon and his four sons were installed into the priesthood in this Torah portion this week. The crazy part about this is, um, where is Korok at this point? Um, just kind of looking around being like, he didn't go, uh, yeah, anoint me. I'm, I'm a Cohen. We're all holy. Like he clearly is among all of Israel watching this go down right now. So like, this is his big chance if he wants to step up. I always like pointing that out because the tapestry of the Torah is so amazing. It's not like, when did Korak get into his mind? Like, I want to go ahead and start this rebellion. It's like he had plenty of time to see Moshe did not make any of this up. And then go back to Parsha Vayikra and Vayikra Rabbah. Moshe is the only one who prophesied with completely clear prophecy, like clear as day. So if he's making stuff up, then what about all the other prophets. So, you know, you got to think about this, right? He himself, by the way, Korah could be considered a prophet. Like all of Israel were on the levels of prophets and probably higher during the splitting of the Yom Suf, the, the Sea of Reeds, and also Mount Sinai. So, I mean, do we really want to have this conversation right now? Moshe is considered the greatest of the prophets. So what are you doing? But anyway, it says Moshe assembled the entire look. Moshe's assembling people. We're assembling for Purim. Moshe's assembling us in the Parsha. I, I just love it. And again, assemble the Avengers, assemble the Chavarim, the Kehila. We all need to come together. Come together right now. Build a Beit Hamikdash. Anyway. So we were at the entrance to the tabernacle, which was covered in cloud. Remember at the end of Parsha Pekude, the end of Exodus, the book of Exodus, taking us into Leviticus. What happened? There was a cloud that came down. Hashem's presence and glory covered the whole entire Mishkan. The Shekinah was finally returned to the earth from the heavenly realms. Let's go. And it goes on to say, um, at the entrance of the tabernacle so that they could witness these rituals. Okay, so the commentary on this daily wisdom for Leviticus verse or chapter eight, verse five, it says this. Aaron and his son were installed into the priesthood through two types of offering, specific corbinotes that Moshe offered up on their behalf. So my goodness, Moshe is being a Kohen. To the Kohanim, a prophet to the prophets and then a Kohen to the Kohanim. Like he's like, here, let me show you how you're going to be to Israel. And this is why understanding us being a holy nation, royal priesthood, like just like we have our Kohen to us, we as Israel are Kohanim to the nations, to the world. We're the ones who draw and a, a, a connect people to Hashem. In the same capacity, not literally, but like in the same um, type of way that the Cohen 
draws us and brings us to Hashem. Because remember, we as Israel don't have inter intermediaries. We don't have to have a let's go to the priest first and then get connected to Hashem. We can directly connect to Hashem. So, you know, again, so what's the Kohen for, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, it goes on to say Moshe offered up on their behalf every day for a full week when the tabernacle was first erected and a grain offering that every priest was required to offer up on the first day of his service and which the high priest, which is the Kohen, was required to offer up twice every day. So my previous podcast episode, I was speaking on the grain offering, the meal offering, and corresponding it to the beginning of Parsha Zav, and how it's offered up with the Tamid offering. Well, the cool thing is the Tamid offering is offered up twice a day. So is the priest's uh, offering of grain offered up every day. And again, this meal offering is the same as the poor man's offering. Those who can't purchase the five types of Corbinot that you offer up, the five types of animals, can't offer those things up then you bring a meal offering so it's crazy because that's what the cohen brings up so you talk about the greatest of these and the least of these being connected well there you go uh the talmud says where you find hashem's greatness there you also find his humility and this is definitely a picture we could see with the grain offering of the cohen and then the grain offering of the poor person and because the Cohen, by the way, was super rich, uh, we were we give like a special teruma to the Cohen, and then we give uh, the first part of our tithe, which is our maaser rishon. We give that to the Kohenim and the Levim. So we're we're to be uh, people who give and donate to the Kohenim and the. The uh, Leviim themselves actually give to the Kohen when they tithe because the Leviim have to tithe. So uh, the Kohen was a pretty, pretty rich person, you know, and it's it's amazing when you think about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Well, number one, the Kohen is not considered to be a man. That's a passage in Malachi that talks about if the Kohen's lips uh, speaks things of the uh, basically like I don't know the verse off the top of my head, but I didn't because I didn't intend to share this either. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. Anyway, gotta learn more, gotta memorize. Baruch Hashem, Bezrat Hashem, help me memorize. But the the Cohen's lips when he see he dri they drip knowledge, wisdom, understanding. It's it's kosher words, kosher Torah. Then he's considered like an angel of Hashem. So this is a passage in the Tanakh. This is crazy. So the Kohen is really likened to an angelic presence among men, you know. And so when you think about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom, the rich man needs to understand the Kohen. And he himself has got to be transformed into that type of posture. Because the Kohen, as much as he's rich, he's also humble. This is why he brings that meal offering every day. It's like twice a day going, know your, know your place. Don't consider yourself more highly than you ought. Yes, you have a very great role. You have a very great mission, a very great purpose and status, but meal offering, you know, and it's just like, wow, because he could be bringing thousand cattles on a hill, you know, the, the cattle that's on a thousand hills. He could be bringing all that because he could actually pay for it. 
So anyway, this you ever wonder why in the Second Temple when Rome got involved, all the corruption was like, oh, I want to be coin. I want to be coin. I want to be coin. Because everybody's like, I want to be, I want that money. And it's like, dude, remember what? Esau gave up his birthright because he was just like, man, I'm going to die. I can't do this. And what happened to those Kohanim? They died because they could not do this. They 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 spurned the birthright, you know, and that's why uh, Yaakov was all about like Esau, sell me your birthright because I'll take care of this. I, I will sacrifice myself. I will humble myself before the presence of the almighty God and bring light and justice to the world and rectify creation. Because that's what we're supposed to do with this role. Because, you know, Mashiach is considered a firstborn and he's going to rectify the world. So that's what we need to be doing. So it goes on to say the purpose of these Corbinot was to awaken within Aharon and his sons the qualities that would enable them to act as Jewish people's representatives before God, whether by securing atonement for their misdeeds or by raising them to higher levels of divine consciousness. See, this is the crazy part. I'm going to repeat it. Whether by securing atonement for their misdeeds or by raising them to higher levels of divine consciousness. That was the purpose of this offering. That was the purpose of the seven days of offerings that Moshe Rabbeinu brought. And then on the eighth day, it was also a Rosh Hodesh. So there was also Rosh Hodesh Musaf offerings being offered up as well as inauguration offerings. So a little mix of Parshat Shmini with a little mix of Parshat Tadzaveh. And here you go. Yeah, Parshat Zav. So it, it and also um, Parshat Kitisa in there. But when we look at all of this, it's really cool because it's never usually taught about the Mashiach anything apart from the atonement and the sacrifice. He dies, he gets resurrected and like all this kind of stuff. But what about the fact of raising us to higher levels of divine consciousness? You know, the Sephira of Keter? which is interplayed or interconnected with Da'at. This is why when you look at the Sephirot, the, the, the Kabbalistic tree of life, sometimes you see Keter at the top. Sometimes you don't see Keter at the top and you see Da'at in the middle. That's the thing. So that's your levels of divine consciousness from Da'at to Keter. And it's like, this is a uh, super hidden wisdom, like extending ex or ascending into higher and heavenly realms. This is one of the things that Cohen does is to help us and awaken us to deeper levels of our divine consciousness. Ultimately, the Mashiach, through the rectification work and the mission, the purpose he accomplished, he's going to be doing this as well, which is why we should know the Mashiach is also a Cohen. So it's just really neat to think about these things. And this is all connected with the, the meal offering. So this week during Pasha Zav, my whole heart is just on temple and this meal offering and what in the world has been what in the world goes on every day with the, the Kohanim and the Leviim in the temple. Like this is amazing what's going on in the temple. And we have these records from the second temple. We don't have much information available from how things were and looked and went and be able to look at everything about it like a virtual tour type thing for the first temple. But we do for the second. And this is why most times when you see images of the Holy Temple, it is really the image of the second temple as it was renovated by King Herod.
So it's just uh, something I wanted to share. And I pray that everyone is having an easy and successful fast. And may we overcome Amalek. And I want to say one last thing. This is actually something shared from Strictly Torah. But um, Strictly Torah, may everyone in that group be, let me see, I want this bracha for them. Hashem, for everyone in Strictly Torah, I want your knowledge and your wisdom of deep and great truths that bring about transformation, not only on the spiritual man, but on the physical man of everyone in Strictly Torah. Can you hear what's on? To know the, the, the love and the knowledge of you, Hashem, that has no limit to its width, breadth, and depth. Okay, I think I'll, think I'll, yeah. So, King Yehirat Son, Hashem, everyone in Strictly Torah, I want that bracha for them. Please, Hashem, pour it out. Help them. Make everyone just super awesome. Show them all of their superpowers and may they be assembled even greater than the Avengers and the Immortals and the Justice League and uh, the Hall of Champions, the Hall of Fames, all of that. Just bring it. King Hiratsun, Mashiach now. Okay, so I wanted to share this from Baal Shem Tov. Come on, man, Baal Shem Tov. From Kitetse 24. It says, he writes that to exterminate Amalek, which is the command. We just finished Shabbat Zakor this past week. Now we're headed towards Purim. And then a little bit after that, we're going to have Shabbat Parah. It's actually not this week. It's the following week. But I'm a little ready for it now. But anyway, uh, as we remember, we got to wipe Amalek out, like completely get him out of here. Amalek is not physically a people group these days. It's actually a, a spirit and an influence that and an energy, if you will, that is uh, apparent in people, things that are destructive nature. This this is all of our doubts, our, our inner voices that tell us you're not good enough. You you're terrible. You should kill yourself. You should not be Jewish. You should not love Hashem. There is no God. You know, blow the world up. Wait for Armageddon. Don't want, don't cry for Mashiach. You're you're crazy for thinking that that's a melech. Keep us from doing the will of Hashem. All of that stuff. So to exterminate that, and this is also what happens when we get upset with each other. A melech comes in, and go, yeah. So they just disappointed you. So I I just want to help you real quick, and he starts doing his little hand sprinkling thing. Like, get real mad. Get real mad. Get real mad at your spouse. Get real mad at your kids. Get real mad at your family. Get real mad at your shul. Get real mad at your teacher. Get real mad at your coworkers. Get real mad at your boss. Like, come on, man. Get get all mad. Okay? Get get so mad. Real mad. Joe Jackson. You know? But anyway. Um, <laughs> terrible. Okay, so that's a melech. And in order to exterminate this, listen, Bashan Tov, it is necessary to first exterminate its ministering angel. See, the thing is, every um, nation has its uh, counterpart in the heavenlies of Asar, which is a, a ministering angels. Sar is ministering angel. So when you destroy the Sar, you can destroy whatever the uh, entity connected to that SAR is. 
Hence, when we read in Daniel, we get a little insight of this is like, oh, yeah, we're doing this little war things pretty tough up there. But just wanted to come let you know uh, we're hearing your prayers, but we're a little busy right now. You know, kind of thing. Anyway, Daniel, uh, you can read in, about that in Daniel. So um, but yeah, to take out a Melek, you got to take out his ministering angel. You got to take out Sar Amelik. Who is Sar Amelik? It is called haughtiness. This is brought down in several places in the Zohar HaKadosh and in the Yotzer of Kedushah for Parshas Zakor. Afterwards, we will finally exterminate Amalek down below. Telling you, man, those who exalt themselves shall be humbled. Those who humble themselves shall be exalted. Our Mashiach said this. It was repeating it. It's it's codified in Torah already. So when we look at what is our goal, what's our deal? All of the mitzvot of Purim and as we get ready for Pesach is all about wiping out Sar Amalek because from the Mishloach Manot, giving the gift baskets to giving to the poor, uh, to hearing the Megillah being read, to having our festive meal, which is so deep, by the way. The fact that we're taking physicality and using it as a channel for Kedusha is like the most powerful thing that we could ever do. So anyway, don't take your meal lightly. Eat to the glory of God, to quote again from Shaul. <laughs> um, and then we're going to be getting ready for Pesach and like getting the hummets out. Like it's going to be all about defeating Sar Amalek. And once Amalek is defeated, that's the end of this exile. So, yeah, okay. Geul is coming. It's happening already. We we have constant influx of the population of Israel approaching 50 cent or 50, 50 cent <laughs> approaching 50 percent, which takes another tip to the scale of Geula where we can start moving towards an actual Sanhedrin uh, being established, which means Eliyahu is like almost here. We're at 45 percent. Uh, mass of uh, Jews in the land right now. Once we reach 50%, oh man, it's on. And then on and on because more and more, you know, right? So, yeah, so anyway, yeah, Mashiach arriving, temple being built, all this kind of stuff. But how about the fact of one of the most practical things we can do? Wipe out haughtiness. Once we wipe that out, that's the end of Amalek. That's the the quintessential prayer of the Elenu, like banishing the spirit of impurity from the earth, people turning away from their false gods and ideologies, all the fallout and the effect of the Tower of Babel with the dispersion, uh, all of that coming to an end in all mankind. Every knee, every every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess all about Hashem, right? So we can do that right now with our haughtiness. This is another reason why I'm always so bold about saying, let's get Mashiach now because we got to embody Mashiach first so we can all do our part. And I know it's a lot of work, which is why what is the part of that lot of work that you can do? Do a whole lot of your part and the rest of the lot will take care of itself. So... Chag Purim Sameach, Mashiach now, fight well, fight the good fight, you know, all that goodness. And uh, let's let's bring some Geula in the world. Let's 
Let's make that Gaula happen. 5782, make that what we do.